It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Movies You Should Love podcast. I'm Lauren, and with me, uh, sipping some tea, it looks like, is Scott. Absolutely. Scott here, sipping coffee. Coffee, <laughs> coffee, even even. This is a good guess. Is either, yeah, is either going to be tea or coffee? Yes. All right. Well, anyhow, uh, so we are here. We are doing another episode tonight or today, uh, whatever time it is that you're listening to it. It's evening for us. We are recording um, it as you listen. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> a uh, but, live podcast. <laughs> uh, but we are going to be talking about uh, number 36 on AFI's Top 100, The Bridge on the River Kwai. Um, yeah. So we'll get into that in a little while. But um, uh, this... Like I said, this is movies you should love. Uh, what we do here on the podcast is we listen or we we watch films and then we kind of analyze them. Um, we don't listen to films. Uh, sometimes we do, watch but, it, uh, but not. <laughs> we analyze and we kind of pick them apart and critique and uh, just dig into them and figure out what makes them tick. We like to say it's film school without the tuition, <laughs> which is probably a little bit of a uh, oversimplification and exaggeration all at the same time, but still uh, what we like to say. So, <laughs> um, well, yeah. Cause it, <laughs> Every time we say that, I do feel a little bad for our instructors who were like really good teachers. <laughs> right. You know, really what we're doing is we're, we're taking those moments in between classes and some of the things we learned from classes and we're kind of distilling it down to like some of our fondest memories of film school, which was all the conversations in between classes with our new the new knowledge we would walk away with like oh that makes so much sense did you i remember that in that movie yeah that's what this podcast is yeah you know that said uh, as as you work through these uh, top 100 films uh, with us i mean just watching them and then analyzing them it really is a master class in what makes cinema tick and what makes film happen and stuff and so um you know, it doesn't give you kind of that practical aspect of actually going out and doing things. Right. But in a in a sort of theory sort of level, uh, it's definitely, you know, you can you can learn a lot about film this way. So that's what we're doing here. Yeah. And uh, so, what are some recent movies, Scott? We've yeah, we're kind of playing catch up. I mean, for those of you who have been listening to us, who subscribe to the podcast, uh, you know, it's been a little while because I've run into a couple of you in real life, and you're like, hey, it's been a little while. It's true because Lauren moved to Texas to join the cause in secession, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kelly and I are in the process of adopting a baby, and so um, our lives have gotten increasingly hectic, and time has become short. But hopefully, I think we're at a place now where we can get our uh, our schedules a little bit more in line again, and we can have these being released at a more frequent, more regular basis. Um, that being said, we're kind of playing catch up, so there's a lot of movies, like a lot of summer movies we can talk about right now that we have seen um i think i'm gonna go back to one of the earliest films of this summer to kick uh, kickstart this conversation and talk about the great gatsby um baz lerman's uh, adaptation at this point you've probably seen it or you haven't um i would say if you haven't seen it uh when it comes out on dvd blu-ray netflix hulu Redbox, whatever um check it out Crackle. yeah <laughs> um yeah it's it, it's a fascinating film i mean if you're a fan of baz lerman and i i count myself as a fan of baz lerman i even liked uh, yeah um it's it's so it was so fun to go we kelly and i went and saw this at the drive-in and so we're sitting there watching it and from the opening moments you realize you're in a baz lerman film because only baz moves the camera the way Baz does. As soon as you start seeing the camera swooping over the New York skyline, you feel like you're in Moulin Rouge all over again. Um, and that's the the good and the bad of this movie. Um, the weakest parts of this movie, uh, no offense to the, to the 
the literature fans listening, the weakest parts of the movie are when you get into the story written by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's a very straight adaptation. It really is. I mean, it's um, most a lot of the dialogue is pulled directly from the book. Uh, the story is intact. It's just a little boring and sad. Like the characters are all a little pathetic, and I mean that in not in like a they're ill crafted, but they are just kind of sad, pathetic characters who are not really, I mean, you kind of you feel bad for them and you kind of relate to them, but at, you know, about two-thirds through the movie, you're just like, Gadsby, get it together. You're a cool guy. You don't need to be putting yourself through this. And by the time it gets to the tragic climax of the film, you kind of know what's going to happen and it happens, you know. Um, that being said, I love the verve and energy that um, Baz injects into this. He does, it's, it's the same thing that he did with Romeo and Juliet, where I feel like he's really trying to bridge the gap that is a hundred-year-old story at this point and going, this is what we're talking about. When we talk about the swinging 20s and how cool the flappers were and how energetic and how debaucherous these parties were, this is what I'm talking about. So it gets kind of that 21st century spin where you, you hear rap. Some of my favorite music in this is actually like these fun big band covers of well-known songs. Like mm. there's a really fun cover of um, Beyonce's Crazy in Love um, that I think her name's Emily Sandy uh, covers. But it's this really fun kind of big band cover. And you're like, you, you recognize the tune. But then somehow it also feels like it's perfectly in sync with the time that they're representing. It's a fun thing. Um, I enjoyed it. It's, you know, but again, it is kind of a bit of a downer of a movie overall when you get into the actual story. And there was a certain lack of cohesion, I think, sometimes because of how dry the story is. How, and it's no fault of the actors, it's no fault of the script or even the director, I don't think. But it's like, it's a very. Um, very upper class kind of story that is being um, compared to this really big, fast, energetic party sequences and all these different things, and then the, then it stops so they can talk and be sad, and then it gets energetic again. And so it, it, it is where there's a dichotomy going throughout the film that doesn't quite mesh. That being said, I did enjoy it. I have the soundtrack. I've been listening to it pretty much on repeat. So. Great Gatsby. <laughs> also, um, I it, there's a lot of green screen, which you you there's shared a, a video online. Yeah, there's a really cool um, kind of a, a production reel, if you will, of, mm-hmm. of some of the green screen work, some of the special effects work that went into this film, and it's um, it's kind of mind blowing. We'll make sure it gets linked to on our page, but it's yeah, um, we'll definitely have it on our Facebook page. Um, but yeah, because like watching it, there's moments you know are. CG because it, it feels different, it looks a little different, and just the fact the way the camera is doing what it's doing, you you know there's some special effects going on. But you watch that reel, and there's moments you go, oh, none of that was real. That that set did not exist. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's it, yeah, it's it's, it's mind blowing, really. I mean, it's kind of one of those one of those movies to me that like you see it and you just go, man. I mean, how do how do these actors even? deal with this because it's it's not real i mean it's it's yeah like it's not quite like at that star wars level where it's just you know a blue room that they're in right but at the same time it's almost weirder because there's like two things in the set and then like, right here's a car and here's a staircase the rest mm-hmm. isn't there you know it's and it's and it's weird to me considering the store the nature of the story is the story is so small um 
you could have filmed this. I mean, the way that basically the Robert Redford version of this film is, which is just find massive estates and film it. But he made it a special effects extravaganza. And what we watched it on the big screen at a drive-in. You could tell it was filmed to be in 3D. And it was filmed in 3D, but we didn't see it in 3D. But there was definitely a lot of care in the image you know and that's something that i think baz definitely brings to his films but yeah it's fascinating to see something like that you go wow you could have made this movie at a, at a fraction of the cost if you wanted to it may not have been the same at all but it's amazing when you when you see that yeah well speaking of uh, big summer um movies <laughs> Um, we're going to go from one that is, uh, you know, I'd say fairly successful to uh, what has turned out to be one of the biggest flops of the summer. Uh, deservedly so, I think. Oh, um, that hurts. Yeah. So the Lone Ranger, um, the Disney Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp vehicle. vehicle film. And I use the term film loosely. Um there are those kind of movies where you don't feel like using the word film. You go, no, this was a movie. This wasn't a film. Yeah. See, this is this is a weird this is a weird one for me to talk about. Uh, and I know you haven't seen it yet, Scott. And I can't really recommend that you should. Um, maybe you should, Scott. But I, I don't. I don't think really most anybody else should. Um, it, it, it is weird. The only thing I can say about it is I've I have not been excited about it from almost like I lost interest as soon as I saw the trailer. Yeah. Like when I heard when I heard that Johnny Depp was going to be Tonto, I'm like, that's weird. And then I started, but I'm like, but it's the Lone Ranger. I I've listened to the radio play. I've seen the old TV shows. This could be fun. But the more we got into it, the less I cared. Yeah, it's here's here's kind of where this movie goes for me, um, and why this is a very weird subject, kind of all around. Because I think I am a little bit about the Lone Ranger, kind of like you might be about Superman, which okay. I'm pretty sure is something we'll get into in, in a second here. Um, Indubitably, yes. Like, like I don't necessarily talk about the Lone Ranger a lot, mm-hmm. but he is probably about my favorite, like serialized character of all time. I did not know that. Yes, which, because yeah, I would have put my money on Robin Hood. Yeah, uh, Lone Ranger, uh, Robin Hood and the Lone Ranger are probably like the two. Um, So, uh, uh, maybe, you know, maybe Lone Ranger is maybe like my favorite modern serialized character and like, I I don't know. Sure. But like, like those two, you know, I I would say it's, it's probably, you know, kind of your Superman and Spider-Man. Like, Mm -hmm. like I can totally see that. Like they're both fantastic uh, for you. Um, You know, the same for me. And so, uh, so I kind of go into this with like Lone Ranger is right up there for me and uh not only was this a terrible movie and i I say that objectively kind of taking myself outside of fandom if you will but it also basically destroys the entire concept of what the lone ranger was about oh just like man of steel did for superman sure (laughs) yeah i haven't seen man of steel um and i'm sure we'll get into that but no yeah go go low ranger yeah but um so here's here's kind of I mean I can I could go into like a detailed breakdown of why this movie fails on every level but I I can kind of sum it up in just a couple of moments. Um the very first time we see the Lone Ranger in the movie mm-hmm. he is robbing a bank which is fine. Um that's something conceivably that could have happened at some point during the sure. radio show or whatever cuz you know he was 
technically on the other side of the law kind of thing. Yeah. Um, he always, he always, like, didn't he always wear his mask? He always like, he wore the mask. his mask off. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second, too. So, um, but the, the very first time we see him, the very first line out of his mouth is, this is a damn robbery. And that is kind of the polar opposite of anything that the Lone Ranger would ever say. Even if he was saying this is a robbery, mm-hmm. he would never swear. Right. And I don't mean that to be like a huge thing, but it's just an indicator of how little they cared about like the code of the character. Because there is like an actual written code mm-hmm. for this character. Like if you go back into any any of the literature written about him, any of the radio shows, like he has a very specific code that he lives by, and like one of those things is that he doesn't profane ever in any way, shape, or form. That's fascinating. That's, that's, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's like part of his code as a character. Yeah, and so the very first, and like I get that this is a PG thirteen movie that they're making it for this audience and stuff. Mm-hmm. I I actually don't have any issue with there being swearing in this movie. Mm-hmm. I just have issue with it coming from him. Like, he should be the one character in this movie who doesn't swear. Just, I, I don't see why that would be hard to create mm-hmm. inside this world. Mm-hmm. Um, Even if you wanted to kind of gloss over it and not make it, like, a thing you talk about, right. he could be the right. character who doesn't. And so it stands out instantly, though, to anybody who knows, like, as soon as it happens. Like, they've... The, the second thing is that uh, he spends the entire movie without his mask um going into that yeah um which is interesting i just rewatched the first like four episodes of the television show Mm -hmm. and they very carefully shot that uh show um in such a way that you never ever saw his face the entire show like even the scenes where he does not have his mask on Mm -hmm. like they shot it very carefully that you never knew who this guy was without it because it was such it was so important that you only know him as this character. And so this the whole movie is really about the deconstruction of the character mm-hmm. and like who he is without the mask. And it turns out who he is without the mask is a cartoon character who is an idiot. Um, <laughs> this is so similar to what I'm going to say. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, so it's, fascinating. It's, um, he refuses to use a gun. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is fine. I understand that they're kind of there's kind of a shift, um, despite the fact that he's a crack marksman in in both the radio show and the television show and all of the comic books and everything that has ever yeah. been created about the Lone Ranger. Yeah. Um, in this, he doesn't use a gun, and then when he finally gets it, he accidentally is able to like shoot guns out of people's hands. That's how they get around the whole thing. Like he never shoots somebody. Right. He always shoots the gun out of their hand. Yeah. It's accidental. He actually does mean to shoot them. He just can't fire a gun. Right. Oof. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, it, and it just keeps going over and over. There's, there's kind of this element of, um, there's a, there's a final chase sequence that is very um, kind of indicative of what happens. Well, there's two major sequences that really, really frustrated me. There's one where there's kind of the genocide of the all the Indians other than Tonto in this movie. Right. Um, and while this is going on, then they're basically getting gunned down by um, machine guns 
um, the Lone Ranger and Tondo are basically having a um, like a funny moment like the Lone Ranger's blindfolded not like mass but actually blindfolded you can't see anything and like he everybody's shooting around him and he's like ah kind of doing this you know right. thing and Tonto's trying to rescue him while everybody else is dying and like it's it's a really dark moment and yet they end up playing playing it for laughs for laughs it's weird. Inside, like it's it's a very weird set of humor in the movie that doesn't ever work um and then you you kind of get this thing at the end where there's this huge train sequence Mm -hmm. and um um the uh this whole sequence ends up uh again the lone ranger is all about like helping people and rescuing people and um you know fighting for law and justice like Mm -hmm. those are kind of the things and uh kind of the end message of this whole movie is that there is there is no law there is no justice and so therefore that's why you have to have the lone ranger Mm -hmm. and um whereas i think the old one is kind of going like sometimes law and justice needs help right i think those are slightly different messaging it is yeah um so but at the end of end of this chase sequence you get um Again, you get the the, uh, the Gatling guns out on these trains and things, and they're just like ripping through trains, mowing down like these high class business executives who are complete innocents in everything that is going on, mm-hmm. um, and yet like they're getting shot up and stuff, and like it's just this big, this big sort of thing that like the Lone Ranger never would have let happen. Yeah, in in the classic storytelling of it, it's just it, it completely misses. That hurts. It misses everything. It tries to turn it into a cartoon, basically, mm-hmm. and and completely ignores the character. It turns the both of the characters into cartoons. Somehow, Silver the horse can climb trees or fly. We aren't sure which, because um, he just randomly ends up like in the top of trees several times or on roofs there's no explanation for like everything is just weird yeah and and i get that it's coming from from gore verbinski it it kind of feels like it could almost fit with the pirates of the caribbean world of things Mm -hmm. but that doesn't fit the characters that That, are involved in this this is amazing and so this review is amazing yeah so it's yeah it's it's just a very painful painful movie and um it Anyhow, I, I think this is a perfect jumping-off place for you to talk about Man of Steel. It is, but before I, I do, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to derail this sure. perfect segue for a question about the Lone Ranger, mm-hmm. because I've been listening to the soundtrack, because um, mm-hmm. I'm a fan of Fonz Zimmer. Sandtra- the soundtrack I really like. So I'm, That's the best thing about the movie. It's a, it's a good soundtrack. My question is, how do they play the William Tell Overture in the film? Because in the soundtrack, because the William Tell Overture, for those who don't know, that was the main theme of the Lone Ranger in the TV shows. Was it in the radio as well? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, and it's not in the soundtrack, really, until like the, there's like this eight-minute finale, which is the William Tell Overture. And it seems like a, a real tonal shift. And so I'm just curious how that plays in the movie. Yeah, okay, so uh, touching on that, there is a hint of it very early on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you catch kind of a whiff of it very, very early on. Mm-hmm. Then it's not touched on again until the final chase sequence. And literally, like, as there's like a, there's a train, like mm-hmm. basically a runaway train that pulls out of the station. And as soon as, like, the Lone Ranger realizes what's going on and jumps on Silver and races off, um, 
that kicks in mm-hmm. and then that is the soundtrack for the that eight minutes is like the soundtrack for the entire chase sequence yeah. and i will say it is the best freaking mo- moment in the whole movie when that kicks in like because it is such a tonal it's kind shift, of what you've been waiting for and it's what you've been waiting for the entire time you've been watching it's and, a, yeah. and it's sad that you had to slog through like two hours of crap to get to it it kind of reminds me of what they did what they've been doing with uh, like the james bond film like they did that with casino mm-hmm. royale they did it with the batman movies um where they those movies have all been about that kind of this deconstruction reconstruction of the characters and so they don't get their main theme until the end like you watch casino royale the james bond that well-known theme isn't until the very end of the film it's like the last two minutes of the film um same with batman and so that's so it's fascinating to, that they they did the same thing it's, with the lone ranger it, it actually works kind of well because it is kind of like that moment where he takes on being that character mm-hmm like finally he he is like he's gotten there personally but like it's it's kind of too little too late at that point mm-hmm. but it is the best moment in the whole movie when that kicks in um just kind of one last summation uh, yeah. the mo- the movie kind of ends on this uh Tonto and the Lone Ranger and Silver are riding off um and right at the end um the Lone Ranger like pulls up his horse and does the high silver thing. Yeah. And like, and you expect that to be like the iconic kind of closing moment. And then Johnny Depp turns to him and goes, never do that again. Kimosabi. And that's kind of the whole thing with this whole movie is like, it's kind of everything that was like a real thing for the radio show or the movie or for mm-hmm. the TV show. It's kind of like, we have to include it even though we don't want to. We don't like it, so we're going to poke fun at it. We're going to poke fun at it. We're going to show how dumb it was. And, like, the Lone Ranger kind of goes, like, oh, I'm sorry. And, like, obviously, you know... Right. Obviously, he did something stupid. And, like, the thing is, is that the Lone Ranger shouldn't have to apologize for anything that he's doing. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's it, it's just a, a bundle of misfires throughout. The, there's there's a couple of really good moments in it, and when those happen, it's really good. But aside from those moments, it's it's pretty horrible. Um, Men of Steel. So yeah. um, I've been looking forward to this movie with cautious, cautious optimism for the past two and a half years. Ever since they kind of announced that they were moving forward with a Superman movie, I've been I've. I've was I've been worried going I was worried going in because of the the production team behind it. Mm-hmm. Um I love Christopher Nolan. Um I have nothing bad to say about him. Um but I, I was worried about his approach to the Superman character because like the Lone Ranger, Superman has a very specific code that he lives by. He is big, red, blue, and yellow. He is I mean, truth, justice in the American way. I mean that is he is he historically he is the moral center of the entire dc universe Mm -hmm. um he is he's known for showing up in comic books and kind of going hey guys i know we have all this power but we can't kill we can't do these things we can't get involved in politics because we could be gods that could just completely take over the planet we have to respect humans and help them and guide them so um <laughs> I was worried because then I heard I heard who the writer was, David Goyer, who wrote uh he wrote the first Batman movie and co wrote the second one. He wrote the Blade trilogy and he's written, a lot of his stuff ends up being pretty dark. And then Zack Snyder came on as director, who is a very visually appealing director. He's very talented. Yes, but 
again very dark very dark very very dark um and so i was worried i was really kind of worried um the movie started first 20 minutes i have to say pretty amazing the first 20 minutes take place on krypton which is superman's homeworld, and it's all about awesome Russell Crowe as Jor-El, his father. And that sequence really works. I wish Krypton was a little bit more colorful. It's a very golden, very 300-looking planet. But it works. It really, really works. And it's the best part of the film. (laughs) Um, After that, it does this weird shift. And you quickly realize what they're doing, what this movie is, is the movie where a couple of guys got together and said, you know what? Let's make Superman cool. And the problem is, there's a large number of us who already thought Superman was cool and didn't need your help, Zack Snyder and David Goyer. <laughs> um, this movie is the movie that they they basically made for Batman and Wolverine fans. You know, it, they, they looked at these dark and gritty superheroes that were doing very well in the box office and said, let's make a movie for them starring this guy who is nothing like those guys. So how do we make this guy look like those guys? Um and that's what they set out to do. And so there are sequences, I have to admit, there are sequences that work gorgeously. Superman's first flight is amazing. Um, but everything else, and uh, the cast, the cast is great. I have nothing bad to say about anything. None of the decisions the actors make are bad. None of, uh, I really like everybody in it. I have no problem with the cast at all. They are solid. The problem comes in the writing of the film in which... It is a very uneven, weird story that's told one part moving forward, one part in flashback. And so in doing this, it completely deflates the escalation of emotion that you really should be having as you work towards the climax. Because they'll stop the whole thing to show you a dumb flashback, which doesn't make any sense. Um, And then let's get to this, this. You mentioned this code. That mm-hmm. the Lone Ranger has. Superman has this code. He does not kill because he recognizes, as everybody complains about, people who are not fans of Superman often say, I don't like him. He's invincible. Nothing can stop this guy. Ugh. <laughs> you know, um, kind of missing the point that with, with superheroes, the, the story is never their powers. It's the character. And so, but one of the, one of the things Superman never does is kill because he acknowledges that he is basically to us a deity and if he goes around killing everybody who he disagrees with that's a problem because he wants to be a good guy um david goyer and Zack snyder basically got in an argument with christopher nolan i've read this since watching the movie where christopher nolan said hey guys superman can't kill and Zack snyder and david goyer basically said why not? Like, why doesn't he kill? It seems like we should challenge that, and we should see where that idea comes from. We should see Superman kill, so that he never kills again. After kill, like, it's him killing somebody that makes him go, "Oh, that's bad," because that's how we all know not to kill. We all have killed somebody, and we've all realized killing's bad. You guys, that was not pleasant. Three times today. <laughs> oh wait. Yeah. So it's really weird because they basically they make Zod who's the the bad guy of the film he's this uh, fellow Kryptonian um, they make him right which is weird they they put they he, Zod says this thing he goes this ends with when one of us is dead and then they fight and fight and fight and I'll get I'll come back to this fighting in a second but it ends with Clark snapping his neck 
like uh, Zod is about to use his heat vision to kill this family and Clark or Superman feels like he has no other option so he just like he snaps his neck as you know as we've seen in countless episodes of 24 um, he does it in front of these kids and he does it in front of the entire theater full of kids because he doesn't know he's in a movie but I know he's in a movie and I know he just killed this guy and then he, he, he shows some remorse, but then they quickly move on to the rest of the movie and wrap the whole thing up in a bow. My problem with this is that it's dumb and it's against everything Superman stands for. And Superman, I think I have this opinion and I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like if there, I feel like there's two superheroes, you should always be able to take your six year old to see. I feel like you should be able to take him to see Spider Man. I think you should take, be able to take him to see Superman. That's just who these characters are, and it really hurts and frustrates me that DC doesn't seem to understand their own character. That they feel like they have to repackage him to make him cool. When you have Marvel across the street who makes a really fun Captain America movie. And they make it a little bit silly because he's this guy from the 1940s. And they put him in the Avengers when he's in the 21st century, but he's still a dude from the 1940s. And so he doesn't really swear. And he has this code of ethics that's clearly from the 40s. He talks and he sounds like your granddad. And he's cool. Like, Captain America comes off really well in his own movie and in the Avengers. And they're afraid that Superman's a little too square, so they gotta kind of dirty him up a little bit. And they just they they there's certain decisions that they make that are just kind of like that are just lame, and they undermine the entire conceit of the character. And I I don't know where they're gonna go next from here because I mentioned the fighting. Um, Superman is very concerned about human life. And in this movie, there's a huge fight. Like, the last 20 minutes of the movie is basically a fist fight between him and Zod, where this is not hyperbole. Most of Metropolis is destroyed because they're fighting in the middle of it. Superman gets flung into buildings, and you see buildings collapsing. You're seeing people running from these buildings in shots that are very reminiscent of 9-11. And thousands of people died in this movie, off-camera. You don't see them dying. But thousands of people died in this movie. I have no idea why anybody's going to look up to Superman at the end of this movie. You could argue, he saved the world, you guys. And he does. He saves the world. But at what cost? And it's really weird. Like, I don't... like. Traditionally, Lex Luthor is the character who shows up and goes, we can't trust this guy. He's from outer space. He's got these powers. He's like a god. But he's a normal man, so we need to distrust him and follow me, you guys. If that guy shows up in Superman 2, I'm following him. Because he's right. Because <laughs> how many thousands of people, how many billions of dollars of damage were done because this guy got in a fight with one of his friends? And like the whole movie is constructed in a way that, I mean, it's weird because almost every bad thing that happens is Superman's fault. Like, it's... You know, you, you, you have to put some blame on the villain because he, the villain's choosing to behave this way. But Superman almost never makes the right choice. He never tries to take the fight away from people. He doesn't, like, take Zod and throw him into the ocean so they fight over the ocean or fight, you know, um, in a cornfield somewhere. That does happen once. But, again, at what cost? It's really a, a strange movie that people really seem to like. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a uh, 
an episode of How It Should Have Ended. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yes, it's fantastic. Which I haven't seen the movie, obviously, but like knowing some of what happens in the movie, I kind of yeah. went, yeah, what would have happened if Superman had just like dealt with it before it became an issue? Which and is basically kind of what the, the thing is saying. It is. And that's, I mean, and the thing, the, the amazing part about that, yeah, we'll, I'll try to link to this one as well, mm-hmm. uh, the, how it should have ended, is that everything that is done in that how it should have ended is in the film, but in the wrong order, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he does talk to his father, but his father, does, they don't talk about Zod ever for some dumb reason. And then when the, he does use his little um, spacecraft to send the Kryptonians back to the Phantom Zone. But he does it after they've destroyed most of Metropolis and part of India. And it doesn't send Zod back. And it's just, it's frustrating because, I don't know, it's like Superman, to me, like you said, he is my favorite. And um, there are portions of this movie that work really well, that I really like. But then there's these other parts where it's just like, no, you guys, I I don't know how you move on from here. And, um, there's certain decisions they made that I'm fine with, even though I think are weird, like Clark Kent. Like the Clark Kent we know that works on the Daily Planet with Lois Lane doesn't appear until like the last two minutes of the film, which is kind of funny, but that's fine. You can. It actually is my second favorite part of the movies when he finally shows up um, to the planet. Because that's the other thing that they do is this whole movie is basically, instead of being structured like a comic book movie, it's really more of a... Um, alien invasion movie it's really a sci-fi film which is fine um but a big part of it is this guy's an alien and he's here on earth and so and lois lane figures out his secret identity an hour into the film and so at the end of the movie she says welcome to the planet which is this fun little play on like she's welcoming him to earth and also to the daily planet and that's kind of the closing moment and it's it's fine that's fine but they do so much to try to make him cool and gritty that it actually undermines his character in a big way that to me as a longtime superman fan is really disheartening to what the future of these movies could be i am i continue to be cautiously optimistic because i do think there's a way you could spin this now but it doesn't make sense to me because honestly it makes for a weaker first film if they just because there's this through the whole movie they have like this debate like Clark's father, Jonathan Kent, is like, you can't tell anybody, don't use your powers. If they know who you are, they'll take you away from me. And they really make Jonathan Kent to be a real, I don't mean weak character in that he's an ill-developed character. I just mean like, he's actually kind of a weak person. Like, he doesn't really have a, he doesn't stand up for what he believes in very well, unless you consider defending his family a big thing and that that is a big thing I'm not downplaying that but like there's a moment in the film where uh, when Clark is like 10 he saves a school bus from the river and Jonathan's like you you can't do that Clark he's like what am I supposed to do let them die and Jonathan goes well maybe I don't know you have to figure this out for yourself it's and in that moment there's a bully that Clark jumps back into the river to save this bully who's been picking on Clark for the entire uh, childhood he saves him and in that moment the bully becomes a friend for the rest of the film, even into adulthood. And that's really cool. And to me, that moment actually should have been played better when it got to the end of the movie, when Clark felt like he couldn't do anything. His only option was to kill. Why didn't he remember Pete? Why didn't he remember? But when I saved that guy from himself, he became a friend. Why didn't, you know, and if they had, if they had swapped those two moments, if, 
if Clark didn't jump into the river, he let this bully die. And Jonathan Kent goes, hey, you had to do that. And his father's like, you had to do that because, you know, you had to protect yourself and it's okay. It was an accident. Maybe it was his time to go. And maybe, and but then Clark sees Pete's family grieving and he sees how traumatic that really is. And in that moment, if he swears, I will never let someone else die again if I can help it. That would have been, I would have been okay with that. It, it still would have been weird and to see Clark let someone die, but if they had t- taken that moment and then propelled Clark forward so that when he confronts Zod and Zod goes, you have to kill me, he goes, actually, I don't have to kill you. I can save you by sending you into this phantom zone, or I can do this. I can depower you, and now you'll never hurt anybody again because, you know what? I'm Superman, and I save people. And it was just weird to see him not save people for huge portions of the film. So, yeah, but th- that's why I was so fascinated okay. by what you were saying about Man of Steel. It's like, I mean, about Lone Ranger. It's like they, it was like almost the same approach to this character, and that was really disheartened by the Lone Ranger about the reviews that started coming out because people for years now have been complaining about remakes and all of these things. And I've I've been thinking in the back of my head these radio plays would be a great place to go find good stories. The Lone Ranger, the Phantom, whatever. Well, it's fascinating, because like, that Green Hornet remake came yeah. out a few years ago, and that's a very fascinating thing, because they kind of massacred it in about the same way. It's probably better than The Lone Ranger was, which isn't saying much. Um, and what's hilarious about all of that to me, or mm-hmm. sad, or however you want to look at it, uh, the Green Hornet is actually the Lone Ranger's nephew. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. like, it's like both of those movies, like, got massacred in kind of the same yeah. sort of way. And it's... But, no, uh, it's very funny you talking about Man of Steel like this, because it's the exact same issues that the Lone Ranger has. I mean, um, uh, they don't really do much trying to make the Lone Ranger cool. They actually make him an idiot that you can't really root for. Right. But they try to make Tonto cool. Yeah. Um, because I think they're really worried about the... Uh, the racial stereotypes and things that went on yeah. with that character, and then they cast Johnny Depp in it. So I don't. And, 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 and he still talks in the broken oh, yeah, English. Not, and not quite as bad as as before, but like it's actually, I don't know. Like going back to the old TV shows, it's actually more believable because Jay Silverheel Hills Silverheels, who is actually you know a Native American, is playing mm-hmm. Tonto, and it's like actually, it's not. I don't actually find it very offensive. It's very... Mm-hmm. He, he he is an equal. He just doesn't speak English very well. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. He's I mean, he is the Lone Ranger's equal in the show, and yeah. they do everything together, and um, I don't know. It's very fascinating. You know, it's, and it goes very dark. It's, um, you know, the main bad guy ends up eating a heart wow. in one section. Um, all of the... All of the minions are all kind of like these depraved, slightly edge-of-society people who all have like really weird tics or personality traits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, it's it's very much into that really kind of dark, yeah. dark kind of thing, and it's it's just trying to make it, I don't know, it's, it's kind of trying to apologize for the source, trying to ask questions that the source never really was meant to answer, I think. Right. And um, it's just not... I don't know, not a good experience, I would say. Yeah, it, it, it was a very mixed experience. I even walked out kind of going, I don't know how I feel about that, because there are moments that I like. There's, mm-hmm. still, there's still some moments in that movie I go, 
that's great. And I, I really like Hans Zimmer's score. I felt like he did it. He rose to the challenge of trying to follow John Williams, which is no shoes I'd want to fill. And he does something new and unique and kind of interesting. And I, I like the score to Man of Steel. And um, it's just like the, to me, I put most of the blame or 98% of the blame on the script, which is this weird weird thing where they try to make him more human and make him less godlike but then they also try to play up his alien nature and even superman at the end of it is like hey <laughs> i'm not for mirth you guys and it's like that's cool but like in the comics if you've read them he wants he wants to be he's trying he to be. is he is the most he human is. person you know yeah. like and batman even you know batman is his best friend and he says that he's like out of all of us up here in the justice league Clark's the most human. You know, it's like he sees himself as a human. And in this movie, um, he really aligns himself with the Kryptonians and with that heritage as opposed to the human upbringing, which in all of the comics, movies, TV shows is where he gets his moral censor. It's John and Martha Kent going, you, you're, you're sent here for a reason. You, you need to find out what that is. And if we can help you, we will. But I mean, you know, go. It's it's So it's weird. And I also had a big problem with the pacing of this movie. Like, the... Not the pacing, the timing. Like, everything. He doesn't put on his suit for the first time until they very specifically say he's 33 years old, which is fine. But he doesn't put on his suit until the bad guy shows up and goes, there's one of us amongst you, and if you send him to us, we won't wipe out your planet. And so then he shows up as Superman. And it's like, that's... I don't know. It's, it's weird to me that... the the first time you meet the hero he's already being called out by the villain as a fellow villain and so there's no love for this character you don't have people in, in metropolis going but he saved us why is we need to, you know i don't know it's weird like when you watch the the first spider-man movie he's fighting the green goblin and the new yorkers show up and like help him because they know spidey he's been helping people mm-hmm. he's kind of a menace but at the same time he saved that kid before so he can't be all bad and there's no love for Superman. You know, it's like, it's just, it's weird. It's like, I feel like, and I, I was trying to explain this to somebody, and this and this may fit, fall on deaf ears, I don't know. But I feel like they, I feel like Superman used to be the moral center of the universe in the DC universe, and now they've shifted it so that now Batman is the moral center of the universe. And that is okay, because he's still a good guy, but he is... His story is not a story of hope. His story is a story of perseverance. And so if you make him the standard by which you measure all other heroes, all other heroes become stories of perseverance as well. And now Superman's story is one of perseverance, and that's not right. Like That, yeah. that goes against the grain of the character. Yeah, something um, kind of when I walked out of The Lone Ranger... Um, Brandy and I were talking about it later, and I think I said something. I, I, I may get this. I may massacre what I said a little bit, mm-hmm. but it, it basically was something like, you know, the, the Western films and Western, the Western kind of as a larger concept, has always been sort of a barometer that measures where people are at currently, kind of like mm-hmm. the, the where society is at. At I that can point see that. in time, um, you know, in the fifties, you had things like High Noon and that kind of thing that yeah. were very, you know, reflecting of the McCarthy, you know, trials and all that kind of thing. And, and then we got the super violent seventies as we 70s get, as we're and, dealing with Vietnam yeah. and everything that's going on. Yeah, and you know, and you can you can look at a bunch of. I mean, it's not just westerns; it's movies in general. No, but, but if you take that genre specifically, it is it is an interesting. Yeah. Because then you get, um, in, you get into like the postmodern like uh, uh, Deadwood, where everything yeah. is broken down and we're examining everything. That's yeah, yeah. And so, 
to me, uh, that was kind of the thing that I, I was like, you know, if this is following in the tradition of the Western, being kind of that picture of where society is at, then I really am sad for where society is at, if this film is the picture of it. Because it is, it is a film that is disenchanted with everything, has no hope in anything. Mm-hmm. And the, the things that could give people hope, everyone realizes is a joke. Oh, it's like Reddit it's, the movie. It's kind of like Reddit the movie. And so it's it's just a very depressing picture of the world where where nothing I mean it's it's where there's nothing to live for almost is kind of the the picture mm-hmm. that that the film paints is that you know somehow it's kind of like you're saying it's it's just kind of perseverance in the face of everything being horrible mm-hmm. versus having some someone standing up and saying, you know what, there can be something that's worth fighting for or that there's yeah. something worth living for. And that that's never really stated in the film. And um Yeah. And that's uh, that's just kind of maybe the most depressing thing out of all of it for yeah. me. In 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 summation uh on Man of Steel, um it is my least favorite of the Superman stories. I put this uh, Superman Returns for me. I liked it a lot better overall. It, um, Superman Returns is a movie that had its faults. I'm not saying it's a perfect film. I like that vision better. Superman's got a kid. I like that vision better. <laughs> I really do. Um, okay, so also I'm. I would also say I'm not saying you shouldn't go see it. I think. I think Warner Brothers has done something where the, I think, like if you compare the Rotten Tomatoes scores of Superman Returns and Man of Steel, they're exactly inverse of each other. Superman Returns. Um, critics loved it. Audiences did not. You go see Man of Steel on Rotten Tomatoes, it's the exact opposite. Critics hate Man of Steel. Audiences seem to love it. So, if you're the kind of guy who's like, I never really liked Superman, this is the Superman movie for you. They've packaged, they've, there are st- the character is still kind of there. You can still, there are still definitely some recognizable things. There are things that, if you only know him from the cartoon, if you only know Superman as this power set, then you're probably going to enjoy the movie. Um, don't take your kids to see it. It's a violent, violent movie that is... You need to see it first, at least. I'm not saying I know how to raise your kids better than you do. See it first. I wouldn't take a five- or six-year-old to see this movie. It is um, it is clearly the movie that they made in response to Superman Returns, which was a little light on action, a little heavy on drama. So this movie has no drama and all action. It is a sci-fi action film. So know that and see it before you take your kids to it. Yeah. Uh, let me just ask you this. This is kind of... Um, I know we've talked about some of this before, and this is mm-hmm. probably going to make this podcast run a little bit long, but whatever. We haven't done it in a while. Um, yeah. Um, this is kind of one of the first times where we both are actually walking into this as fans of something. Yeah. Like, both of us at the same time. Because, like, uh, you've had a lot more superhero movies recently yeah. to do that with. I haven't had a whole lot of things where, like, I can walk in and put my fan hat on and kind of walk into it. Yeah. Um, and so, where, to you, where does that fit into all of this? This, this whole concept of remakes and... Um, 
what is owed to fans or not owed um the whole internet culture of fandom that mm-hmm. we have right now mm-hmm. I, I know you've done like your whole superheroes you should you should love yeah. thing that, yeah, that yeah. we covered some of this in and and stuff but I, I just thought maybe we could talk about that a little bit no it's, it's a good it's a good question and um my opinion which is an, an unpo- unpopular opinion i think when i when you start talking to fans is i don't think fans actually know what movie they want to see until they see it um if you actually ask somebody, what do you want out of a movie? They're like, well, I want something that's that's close to the source material. I want something that's just like the book. However, everybody's favorite Harry Potter is The Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the movie everybody says is the least like the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because uh, Alfonso Cuaron uh, got to the heart of that book and said, this is what this, this, stor- this particular story is about this. And he embraced that and brought in new scenes, eviscerated old ones deleted old ones and made a cohesive film that is spectacular um i think honestly if i was setting out to make if i was going to write the next superman movie if no i won't say superman because i don't i know him too well he's too close to me (laughs) if i was hired to make the phantom a radio play um that i am somewhat familiar with i'm not overly i couldn't tell you his real name but i could tell you what he's about i do know enough about him to tell you that kind of stuff i would sit down and i would do research i need to know who this character is i need to know what he stands for i want to know the ins and the outs of it but then there comes a point where i have to say well this is the story we're going to tell and this story will have to ignore this part of the canon or this part of the canon there is an adaptation process i think um does take place that needs to take place Mm -hmm. um and so and part of that adaptation is staying true to the character i think there needs to be a truth if not to the character to the spirit of the character um i think that's what you owe everybody because that's what you need to recognize why people are showing up to your movie. You, you, I know you're trying to appeal to a wide audience. And so when you make a Superman movie, you want to make a movie that will bring back the people who didn't like Superman Returns and also bring in all the people who never liked Superman. Like, no, no, this isn't your dad's Superman. This is the 21st century Superman. He's mm-hmm. cool. He kicks butt in this movie. You should come see this. So I know you want to appeal to them, but if it's not a recognizable Superman why make a Superman movie? Um, if you're not going to put him in the in the in the costume, why worry about it? Just make a western. If you're not going to make a Lone Ranger movie, make a western. If you don't, if you're not actually interested in the Robin Hood story, don't make a Robin Hood movie. Because um, I think I think there's a lot of wiggle room with these characters. Um, I think if you made if you made a, a Superman movie where Clark Kent doesn't work at the Daily Planet, but works at a he has his own blog. I don't think anybody would really care. It'd be part of the review. People would comment on it. I don't think it'd be a big deal. Um, but I think it would be a big deal if you made a Batman movie and he wasn't a millionaire and he didn't have a butler. That's kind of important to the story. Like mm-hmm. Wayne needs to be Wayne. Um, and so I think I, I I don't think if I don't I don't think they owe me anything. When when it comes right down to it, but I do think if you're setting out to make, if you're going to adapt a property, you do need to understand the property and adapt it the best that you can. 
and I do think that it, they walk a very fine line when you make the silly adaptation. And I mean, it sounds like they did that with the Lone Ranger. Definitely. They also they did that with. Um, I mean, this is a weird comparison, but they did that with Dukes of Hazard and with Starsky and Hutch, where they both they kind of wanted to make movies that were those properties, but also kind of made fun of the property. To me, that's weird. I, I'm more in favor of a sincere adaptation of like no no you guys you, you you like that you like the dukes of hazard well this is a dukes of hazard movie this is what that story would look like if it was 90 minutes and on the silver screen we're gonna have a bigger budget and we're gonna have this kind of adventure to me that's what you owe me is a sincere approach to the character and to do your best to find it and sometimes that means you do have to adapt maybe you maybe you downplay tonto's native americanness or you embrace it more and you go we're going to use this character and we're actually we did some research we based him on this indian tribe he wears all of that kind of costuming and clothing and you, you know we even got in touch with these people so we could even perfect the accent cool you know we're going to try to embrace that and make it a real thing and not make it a joke like we did in the 1950s or whatever that's my long-winded answer <laughs> yeah no i i think i'm in a very it seems to me that it's a very um it's kind of a no-win situation if you're one of those people having to do the adaptation. Yeah. Because there's always a group that you're never going to please. Yeah. And, um... I apologize to the listener if my dogs are interrupting. They're very excitable. Yeah. And at the same time, I do. I like what you're saying about the... Like, you kind of owe something to the collective consciousness, almost, yeah. to kind of continue building that character. It's not yeah. necessarily... It doesn't have to match every piece of lore that's ever been written, but it yeah. still needs to fit within the larger spectrum of it. Yeah, like, I think there's, it's a real missed opportunity, and that, and that was one of the things I didn't like about Superman Returns, is they dropped the American way. Mm-hmm. They were like, he stands for truth, justice, all that stuff. Um, tell me what it means in the 21st century to stand for truth, justice, and the American way. What does that mean in the 21st century? I think there's a really profound answer to that that we completely just are not. So, I mean, if you if you embrace that and go like, here's a thing we can do, and let's, what does it mean to stand for truth in the postmodern society? What is what does justice look like in the postmodern society? What is the American way that Superman stands for? Is that offensive to the world, or does he stand for something that's not offensive? Maybe, what does that actually mean? do that and that is awesome and even if that means you have to reconfigure parts of his story to fit that that's cool because you're going back to the heart of the character that he has mm-hmm. always been for the this was this is superman's 75th birthday this movie came out on his 75th birthday and it is the most unlike superman movie i have ever seen mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> all right. Well, I think we could keep going. I mean, we could probably keep talking could, about all of this with these two films. Well, for... what, 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 do, what do you think? Uh, no. About uh, I, yeah. I interrupted your, your response to your own question. I apologize for that. But oh, it, no. What, I mean, what, do, I just, what do you think? What, what, what do what do these filmmakers owe fans of properties? Yeah. You know. I mean, on on the one hand, they don't owe us a single thing. I mean, uh, there's nothing. I have no ownership. Yeah. I just have a picture in, in my head of the things that I like about this character. And so on the one hand, they can do whatever they want, and then I, it's up to me to make my decision based on that. And maybe I'm no longer a fan, or I'm just a fan of like this certain portion of it, and then after that, I stop. I mean, you know, yeah. that's, that's maybe a fair, one fair way to look at it. Um, 
you know, I'm certainly not a fan of this film. Yeah. Um, but I'm, it still doesn't make me not a Lone Ranger fan. You know, I still right. am. I just don't, you know, I just have a different opinion of, of what this should be a part of that or not. Um, I don't know. There's there's an element. I think I think you and I have talked a little bit out about this um, in that you kind of have to reinvent things a little bit and that maybe there's an element of you know there's there's stuff that i like that i already have a connection with and and uh it's kind of like people choosing their favorite doctors or that kind of thing on doctor who yeah and like once you have that connection with that you may or may not enjoy previous or future doctors or whatever absolutely but you always are going to have that body of work that you are going to enjoy out yeah. of this. And maybe that's just enough. Maybe we as fans need to go, you know what? Whatever happens, larger yeah. larger perspective. It's it's called st- headcanon. Yeah, you know, I still like, have Yeah. I still have a body of radio shows and TV shows that I love. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that's enough. Maybe that should be enough that I enjoy what's already there. And then if something good else happens, then I should just be joyful or ignore it, you know, if it's bad. I've tried, you know, with all, you know, with all this, this, uh, all these superhero films that come out, I'm always very curious about people's responses, especially when it's a character that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when people talk about how much they like man of steel, um, I've done my best to keep the conversation positive because for some people, this is their first experience with men, yeah. with Superman. And part of me hurts when I hear that, but part of me goes, but did you like it? They go, Oh yeah. Then I go, would you be interested in reading? Superman, because I can recommend some really great stories, and I try to bring them into the fold a little bit, and then maybe we can get to a place where we can agree on certain things, or whatever, you know? Because I do think there is an opportunity for fans, and I don't like it when fans um, blast things, because there are people who like it and go, but I'm one of you now. I, I, I understand Superman now. He's cool. And you're like, he is. And that's what you should agree on. Like, we both like this character now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes filmmakers make it very hard for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. And, and I'm curious about the different phases of adaptations that we see. There was a time there where they were, they were definitely trying to strip all the magic out of fantasy. You know, it's like out of um, the King Arthur King movie. Arthur, and yeah. uh it's like you see that and then even like in Robin Hood they're trying to make it like the realistic version of that story and so now it seems like they're kind of trying to do the this approach to adaptation possibly and it's it's interesting and I, I hope it's a very short lived one because it's it's I don't I'm a fan of sincerity even if it makes you look goofy you know well if, it's, it's interesting you bring up you bring up the Robin Hood thing like for me, my headcanon Robin Hood mm-hmm. is Errol Flynn. Yeah. Even though I've gone back and read, like, the history, you know, I know, like, original, like, as early stories as we can get. And, like, I know where, it, as much as we know anything as where it comes from and that kind of thing. You know, I've done that. And I've seen all the current movies and stuff. Yeah. And then there's people, uh, and uh, you might fall into this, whose, their Robin Hood is defined by Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. Or Carrie Elwes, possibly. Um, Mine's actually the fox. <laughs> or, or that's, that's true. Or the fox. You know, there's there's like a. It depends where people hit in that. But I mean, there's there's people who were defined by different things. Yeah. And I, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, Kevin Costner one. I mean, it's it's okay, but it's not. I really liked it when it came out. Yeah. It has not aged well. Yeah. Um, it frustrated me when it came out. Probably, in some ways, probably more so because I think I was less willing to let go of things at that mm-hmm. point or whatever. But um, 
you know, it's just, it's interesting. I think, I think there has to be a thing of, you know, every person who's approaching a property, um, whether it's a fan, whether it's the person creating the new thing, mm-hmm. whatever, they have a history with it that is completely separate than my history. Mm-hmm. Um, and their history may define a lot of those things in a completely different way than I define them. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's a very weird thing. I don't, I don't have great answers on everything. I think there has to be like with most things, it's, it's worth taking chances sometimes, Mm -hmm. I think as an, as someone adapting, but at the same time, you have to be very um, close to your source material to make sure that you're adapting in a way that kind of honors the original. Yeah. Well, because there, there were certain, there were certain changes, for example, in Man of Steel that I was totally cool with, like um, Lois Lane, literally like within an hour of the movie figures out this guy who's running around saving people grew up on the kent farm it's clark kent and there was this moment that was really weird because that's just such a classic part of the story is the will she figure it out won't she oh he has to run off and change and come back and she has to not know but i mean isn't isn't she like a pulitzer prize winning journalist right she is yeah she should be able to see through his bs in about you know 10 seconds and she does it in a way that's really cool yeah. like she kind of she hears like these little like urban legends and she's following the the story of like these weird happenings and it just kind of because she's an investigative journalist, she figures it out. You know, in a way, she hasn't even gotten to know him yet. She just goes, and so what? What I what I like about that is that it puts a lot of power in Lois Lane's hand. Like she is awesome. She figured this out. Also, because she does that, she believes in him in a big way because she has seen his life story and goes, "This is a guy who's wrestling with himself, is trying to figure out who he is, and honestly, he's doing. He wants to do good." And so even when the world looks bleak, she knows this guy's on our side. And so that, I do think, is a cool relationship to going into a second movie, which there is going to be, is that even if the whole world is against them, Lois and Clark have each other, and she knows he's trying to do good. That's kind of cool. I just wish it didn't have to come with all the baggage that Man of Steel also introduces. But I'm just saying there are ways to completely change the story that still is true to the spirit of these characters and kind of goes, yeah, but they still have each other and she's still this amazing reporter and awesome person. <sighs> anyway, do you want to talk about some other movies? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why don't, you know, we've been doing this about an hour here. Why don't we, uh, why don't we jump to our movie of the week? I know there's other things we could talk yeah. about, but let's, let's hit the let's bridge on the that. river quad. Yeah. Um, so jumping back here, Oh, what, 60 or so years? Yeah, it came out in 1957. Uh, it's number 36 on America's, uh, America's, on the FI Top 100. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it was uh, directed by David Lean, who um, directed several other uh, kind of big, epic-y sort of movies. Uh, yeah. Probably most notably Lawrence of Arabia. Um, but, I mean, he, he, he did a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, it stars William Holden, Alec Guinness, and... Uh, often o- overlooked and i don't actually know how to say it but sasusi hayakawa i believe is That's something like that who plays effort. the thank you who plays the uh, the japanese colonel saito i was looking at that going i'm not saying it <laughs> <laughs> i probably massacred it but uh but there you go um yeah this movie, it won seven academy awards uh best actor best picture best director best music best editing best cinematography best supporting actor i mean it kind of cleaned up. And this was at a point when we did not have quite as many categories as we have today. So that's yeah, even it's very impressive. more impressive. And um, rightly so. This yeah. is a solid, solid movie. Yeah. So uh, this is 
yes this, this i would say that is a very good distinction like there are movies and there are films and this is definitely a film yes to me like it's it's the complete package of being a crafted film experience that's also incredibly enjoyable and incredibly worthwhile. And it's and it, it completely relatable and also completely foreign. It takes you somewhere you've never been while still giving you things you can completely relate to. And it's like it's it's very nearly perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is this is a movie like I grew up with this. I mean, I can remember watching it as a kid because it was one of my dad's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. You had never seen this before yeah. watching it for this podcast, right? It's that's correct, and that's you know this is my one of my favorite things about this podcast. And what I I assume and I hope the listener is doing the same thing that I'm doing is I'm taking this podcast and it's given me this great excuse to watch all of these really amazing films that I have somehow managed to get through film school and the 10 years after film school not seeing like i had never seen tootsie i'd never saw the bridge on the river kwai it's like these are movies you need to see i i think it's hilarious with tootsie because we just recorded that what a month ago something like that and on facebook i've seen that there's like a clip of dustin hoffman which if you go back to our interview or our our, uh podcast i actually mentioned that clip like we we had that first ladies and gentlemen we, we had talked about <laughs> it before it hit before it hit facebook we were yeah, talking and about what, it. what i liked about it, I, had, I hadn't seen the clip you i know you'd mentioned it, but i didn't see it until it's it it took over the internet mm-hmm. and what was amazing to me is like a lot of things that he's saying were the things that we were saying it's like and i said it without or we said it without having or you saw it i guess but it's just like that's yeah we're right on nailed it nailed it <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'd never seen The Bridge on the River Kwai, so I was really excited to see it um, for several reasons. One, it's it's a movie that uh, takes place in an often overlooked part of World War II. Um, we don't we don't see we see so much more of the European theater than we see of the, like the Japanese and uh, that part of the war. Also, it stars Alec Guinness, who I adore as Obi Wan Kenobi from the original Star Wars trilogy, and it was just a real treat to be able to see him in a completely different role. Um, and kind of realize, I think, when you see him in this, like why he was such a score for absolutely for them to get for Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, like, seeing that and you know, seeing him, seeing, like, I, I'd always heard that that he was a real get, and that, but seeing him in this, I went, oh yeah, that added a legitimacy to your project. Going, oh, and Sir Alec Guinness is in this, you guys. Mm-hmm. That this is a real sci-fi movie. This isn't, you know, <laughs> and so, but and he is so good in this. He is so so good in this, and as this stiff, upper-lipped British officer. Um, also, you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, the the movie revolves around a a group. Is it a battalion? A fairly large group of British soldiers who are prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. Um, we gonna- yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what the. Uh, uh- like I'm not sure it's a whole battalion or if it's just like a a, a grouping. Uh, like I'm not sure they were all captured at the same time. But yeah. Like there, there's a prisoner of war camp. Most of the prisoners in there are British prisoners, but they have a hierarchy of command. They, within yeah, it, they, obviously. Yeah, they're de- they are they all definitely the same group. I mean, he, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Alec Guinness has the line that they were they were ordered to surrender. That's He's, right. And so I mean, they, they were right. they were definitely they were at least a a single unit. I'm not yeah. sure what unit it is or how big they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they're all in this prisoner of war camp, and they show up, and you know, uh, Colonel Sato is there and goes, "You guys can try to escape. There are no walls. <laughs> there are no fences. There are no moats. We're in the middle of a jungle, and you will die. Yeah, good basically, luck. It, yep. you, you you have a much better chance 
staying here and it's a labor camp and the whole camp is basically uh their job is to build this bridge over the river kwai um and so it's it's fascinating mm-hmm. yeah it starts out it's it kind of starts out as a power struggle between the two colonels you have the, yes. the japanese colonel and the british colonel um and uh you know the the british colonel is basically trying to um make sure that his men and his his officers and every, you know everyone involved is being treated c- correctly under the Geneva Convention and right. that everything is proper. The, yeah, I think exactly. it's kind of yeah, very that, that it's honorable and proper. It, the, Gene- um, the Geneva Convention as well as like the rules of British military just going, oh no, you can't have officers working. Like You can't force officers to do this. And he's like, yes I can. You're all prisoners. You're all the same now. And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we are not the same. We're never always this you know that will never happen we have to keep i'm an officer they are not and so that becomes this power struggle at the beginning where he refuses to bend his his beliefs and his uh his very strict uh code of conduct um he refuses to bend that and so he and the officers are um they're put in isolation they you know all these different things um trying to basically break him down so that they will join the enlisted men in the in the manual labor of building the bridge um and it's also interesting to me because there's a there's an american that they run into at this camp like he's one of the first characters we also kind of get to see um who he escapes the prison mm-hmm. um and one of my favorite one of the most interesting things about this movie one of my favorite parts of it was uh, about halfway through you get to you learn the american story and he is like diametrically opposed to the British officer. The British officer is all about rules. Like, no, we have to do it this way, this way, this way. This is wrong. This is right. We'll do it this way. And because of his rules, he is thrown into the lowest of prisons. He's not fed. He's not given water. And he's in this sweat box, basically. Um, Meanwhile, the American, we find out, um, he pulls a Don Draper. His officer dies, and he, he, he takes on that guy's name. He's like, I'm that guy, because I realize officers are treated better in war, and they're treated better in camps. And so he kind of fakes his way to the top, even to the point of once he escapes the prison camp, and he's, we start cutting back and forth between the prison camp and where he is, where it's like a rest, a, he's getting R&R. He's still being treated as an officer, and they're bringing him in for his opinion on things. And um, he is now, and then by the end of the film, he's in charge of this like kind of liberation force that's going to try to blow up the bridge and uh, free the British soldiers and stop the train from transporting, yeah, crossing the river and transporting supplies and weapons to the to the enemy. And it's because he lied; he he fails his way to the top, (laughs) and it's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, you. It's a great. It's because it, really you have these three characters. You have the the Japanese colonel, the the British colonel, and the American officer. Yeah, and um, and they are all forces of will in their own way. Yeah, and like each of their will is diametrically opposed to each of the others. Yeah, and so it's kind of a three way power struggle throughout this whole movie about how these characters interact who wins in situations what finally breaks how, a person if they ever break or yeah and and where does it all kind of lead to yeah the japanese uh, officer kind of breaks kind of halfway through because there's um a an armistice is reached somewhere else and so he's like so now that means the officers will not be forced to work yeah he's he's, he's almost kind of forced yeah, to his, his, yeah, his hand is played for him and when that happens it's really, he loses the power. He, loses, kind of. like, he kind of almost loses his will a little bit. Like there's that meeting where the, 
where uh, Sir Alec Guinness's character is like, and we need this. He's like, the order's already been given. The order's already been given. It's fine. You know, he's just like, he's just not fighting him at all anymore. He's just like, fine. What do you want? Okay. But it, but it's interesting because even because despite that, Sir Alec Guinness is. I, I keep calling by the actor's name. I don't know the characters. Um, Sir Alec Guinness played Colonel Nicholson. Nicholson is a the type of character who doesn't take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he because he's living by the rules. He's living by the rules, and so he's like, "Oh, we're going to build you a bridge, and it's going to be the best damn bridge in the world because it's going to be built by the British." You know, and so like his men go. Actually, we should build a bridge uh, down that way. It'll be a better place to build the bridge, and we need to do this. And so like they make the best bridge possible in that situation, and they are proud of it because he, and it, and it plays into all of these different reasons. Like he wants to keep make sure the men are still disciplined. He wants to make sure the men are physically active and healthy, and he knows that giving them a worthwhile project will be good for them, and for all of these different reasons, and. It's fascinating to see that. You know, it, there's moments of it that really kind of reminded me of Downton Abbey and how it was so very British and that that aristocracy could be of like, no, this is the proper thing to do. And I don't, <laughs> I had moments of going, if this were an American film, and this might, I think this was an American film, but if it was a more American film celebrating an American hero, I don't think he would have played it that way. I, fe- I almost feel like it's this weird. We, we, I feel like we sometimes glorify the rebel and the slacker, and maybe that's not mm-hmm. how it was in the 50s, but I feel like like the William... <laughs> the the William, w- Holden w- William Holden character is very, like, yeah, that's very American. <laughs> kind of connive your way to the top. Like, look what you did there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great movie. It's probably one of my favorite World War II movies. It's just... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great character study. It's a great action story aside from that like there's mm-hmm. tons of uh, man like the last tons of sequences and stuff in it they're just amazingly brilliant and the last 15 minutes are the most like intense of almost any movie yeah like there's it, it's great and you kind of know what's going to happen because it's on the cover of the dvd if you rent it <laughs> you know the bridge is going to get blown but it's like leading up to that is phenomenal filmmaking where it's just like are they going to see it? Oh no! How are they going to do? It? They've seen it. Now what? Now what? Now what? It's great. It's really yeah. like that. Those last fifteen minutes, I was just astonished by because it is kind of a slow burn of a movie, a slow boil. Um, it's always entertaining and fascinating, but man, they ratcheted it up for those last fifteen minutes. Yeah, um, it's it's a movie that I can't recommend enough. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure there's lots more to say about it, but on the other hand, there's not a ton to say about it because it's just it's a movie that speaks for itself when you watch it i mean it's it was a great movie when it was made Mm -hmm. and it is equally as great today um it it hasn't aged it tells a specific story of a specific time it works very well it really does um yeah it's it's kind of brilliant filmmaking yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and it, yeah. The the only other the last thing I would say about it, it was I did a little bit of research on the story afterwards, um, because it reminded me of another movie so much. I was like, I wonder if this is based on the same story. If this is a true story, and it kind of is, kind of isn't. Um, there is a character. The the two main uh, characters, the Colonel Nicholson and the Colonel Sato character, are based on real people who did have this really this you know contentious relationship that ended up budding into this 
a really kind of amazing friendship that and this is just a fascinating part of the story that they don't go into this at all in the movie they actually the, the ending is completely different but like after the war um, the Nicholson character basically testifies at the war trials hmm. and it saves Sato's life I mean, these aren't their real names but for the sake of, the, of this conversation um other Japanese generals were being taken to the gallows for, you know, running these internment camps. And Nicholson kind of stood up and goes, actually, he ran a really good camp and he was fair to us and he did all these things. He, and so he didn't die. And then after the war, after Nicholson ended up dying, I think probably of old age, um, Sato went and visited his grave. I mean, they were like lifelong friends after this <laughs> this prisoner of war camp experience, um, which just speaks to the, I think, the quality of their character their very real character that they had so yeah um so our verdict on the film then would be that uh i would say that i i love it it's it's a great movie it's a movie that if you haven't seen it if you're like me and somehow managed to miss this movie this is a good one this is one that's absolutely worth revisiting um yeah i mean you you guys need to see this movie if you haven't bridge of the river Kauai is a good time yeah, I'd say it's uh, out of this list. It's one of the more must-watchy kind of films that we've got on the list. I would say, mm-hmm. um, pretty much worth it for just about anyone to see this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a popcorn flick. It's not the kind of movie. It's like, yay, good time, having friends over, we're gonna watch a fun movie. It's it's not a fun movie, but it's a good movie. Like, and if with the right group of friends or by yourself, good good movie. Yeah, it's absolutely worth seeing. So, what are uh, what are a couple of other things that you would say? Um, the two movies that the two movies that struck that sprung to mind as I was watching this um, there's a movie called To End All Wars which I don't think had a huge release I know I didn't discover until it was out on DVD um, it's called To End All Wars and it stars Robert Carlyle and uh, Kiefer Sutherland and it tells a very similar story it doesn't have as much of the character interaction but in a way it, it does and then it's a different kind of character examination um but it's a very similar story. It's about a British <laughs> prisoners of war, a couple of Americans who are at a Japanese uh, prisoner of war camp, and they're building a um, a railroad through the Burmese jungle. And based on a true story, and it is disturbing and fascinating and heroic. And I really kind of like it. It's probably not. I mean, it's. I think it's R-rated. It's. I think it's a bit more gruesome than um, Bridge of the River Kwai is, but. It's definitely in the same vein. I mean, it really, there was elements that I'm like, wow, this is very familiar. And I had to go look it up. Um, the other movie, which is in a completely different war, uh, is Rescue Dawn, which is, I believe, a Warner Herzog film, but it stars Christian Bale and Steve Zahn and a couple other people. But if it's, just, it's one of those Christian Bale movies that's kind of easy to miss, that I would absolutely recommend. I believe it takes place during the Vietnam War, but it's about a prisoner of war who um, escapes. And it's about him trying to escape and finally fighting his way through the jungle, trying to get out. Um, very good movie. It's another, yeah, basically, I thought of Prisoner of War camp movies. I saw this, I was like, oh, I like all these kinds of movies. Um, Lauren, what about yourself? Yeah, um, well, I think probably most notably is Lawrence of Arabia, which I think is what we're going to talk about next week. So I'm Absolutely. not cover that now. But, um, you know, it's also David Lean. It's a big, epic kind of film and uh, very, you know, very fantastic. Um the Guns of Navarone, starring mm-hmm. David Niven and a whole bunch of other people, um, is kind of a really good uh, World War II action adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of uh, kind of that whole concept. Uh, you've got this small strike team that has to go in and blow something up. Uh, so it kind of is 
sort of like part of the second half of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, their thing is they have to go blow up uh, these guns that are kind of overlooking this area that they're trying to get like a shipment through and stuff. Right. Um, so it's it's a really good kind of World War II action movie, same time period mm-hmm. it was made and everything. Um, just a, a good film. Um, another one, The Great Escape. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of like the granddaddy of all prisoner of war movies. Yeah. Um, it has you know, a cast of Steve McQueen and tons of other... Um, you know, great actors from from the time period it was mm-hmm. made, and uh, it, there's there's you know a German prisoner of war camp, and then it follows probably I don't know a, a dozen stories yeah. of people. You know, there's there's a big escape attempt, and then that follows like the different people as they escape out of the prison and and how they get along with that and stuff. And it's just it's it's also kind of big and epic and, mm-hmm. and really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um. Another one called Von Ryan's Express. It has Frank Sinatra in it. Hmm. Um, I haven't seen this one. Uh, it's also a prison escape movie. And it's kind of... You were kind of saying, like, if you were going to do a prison escape movie with uh, Americans in it, mm-hmm. it would be kind of more, you know, ha, kind of gung-ho. Yeah. A little bit more breaking the rules. And that's kind of what this one is, is... is um, there are a lot of British people there, and then um, there's this uh, American aircraft that gets shot down, and it has Frank Sinatra, his character in it, um, named Ryan, and uh, uh, he ends up becoming like the the ranking officer in the camp, mm-hmm. and ends up kind of spearheading the escape attempt, and they end up stealing a train and going through Germany, and or not Germany, but um, anyhow, it's it's a really fantastic World War II um, escape movie as well. Um, probably one of Frank Sinatra's better films as mm-hmm. well. He's, he's really good in it, actually. Um, Apocalypse Now is kind of an interesting, again, different war that we're dealing with here, um, and a much darker film than any of these others. Mm-hmm. But I think it kind of... Um, there's, there's a line right at the end here of... Um, the bridge on the river Kwai, where William Holden's character goes, madness, madness, and it kind of—it's the last line of the film. Yeah, it's the last line of the film, and it's like the perfect segue into kind of the Colonel Kurtz character. You could <laughs> right. almost see like William Holden at this point going deeper into the jungle and becoming Colonel Kurtz almost. Like yeah. I, I don't know—that's kind of that's kind of the that, extension I, of that I character. See that, and so uh, I don't know. To me, it's kind of like the sequel in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, unintentional sequel to, to this film. Um, and the, the last movie I would say is The African Queen, which has Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn it's in it. It's a good movie. It's, it's a, just a brilliant movie on its own. And um, it's also a World War II movie of sorts. Uh, they end up trying to escape from the Nazis uh, in Africa. And um, there's like a ship blockading a thing. And, and you kind of have this battle of wills between these two characters locked on this little tiny ship together as they go up the river and kind of how they have to deal with all of that. And, uh, and all of these, I think, kind of in different ways embody some of the different aspects of um, Bridge on the River Kwai. Cool. Excellent. That's my list. It's a good list. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this episode. Maybe extra a, long episode. Yeah, a little bit longer. Um, just think of all the things we didn't talk about. <laughs> My goodness, the stuff we'll have for next time. Oh, the things. Um, <laughs> all uh, the places you'll go. Oh wait, yeah. Um, but <laughs> tune in next time because uh, Lauren already kind of teased it. We're going to talk about number seven on AFI Top One Hundred: Lawrence of Arabia. Another one, another great movie. I have somehow failed to see. 
I am a yeah. failure as a film student. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll watch it and we'll uh, cover it next time. I think we watched it in film school. I, we, if I'm remembering, you slept through it. That or I had a girlfriend and might have it skipped class. Might have been the combination there. I feel like you slept one day and skipped oh, I slept through a lot of documentary filmmaking. I slept through <laughs> Nanook of the North. I know that. Also, Baraka and Bigger, Longer, Crazier. What's that documentary? Um, Hardly Out of Control, Longer and Uncut. Oh, what is it called? Uh, any other time, uh, you, I could have... <laughs> I could say anything about it. I slept through it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I had a midnight shift on the desk. I was talking yeah. movies with my best friend. I wasn't going to stay awake through <laughs> documentary filmmaking. Well, anyhow, we're going to do Lawrence <laughs> of Arabia. Of Arabia. Um, <laughs> but in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Movies You Should. Join the conversation at MoviesYouShouldLove.com. Uh, quick warning to those of you who visit our website. I know a lot of you have been finding it recently and have been talking to us. Um, this is the portion where my dog is getting very upset about what I'm about to say. But Lauren and I are trying to fig- have to manage our time a little bit more wisely now. Um, I've got an 11 month old living with me and Lauren has a job. <laughs> and so we're not we're not going to we're not going to probably be able to devote as much time to some of the ancillary aspects of movies you should love. Um podcast as much yeah the podcast isn't going anywhere the website isn't going anywhere it's also going to be there um but some of the pages dedicated um to these episodes you may see uh becoming a little bit smaller just because uh we we are kind of juggling um different projects outside of the podcast as well as also trying to manage our time and make sure our friends and family don't suffer um we love you guys we want to deliver the best uh the best product we can um but look for just giving you a fair warning that there may be some small changes in the future to some of the the websites and different things you see um more conversations for example may be taking place on facebook than on the website um doesn't really matter uh, but you will see and we want to keep, we want to keep going we want to keep bringing this podcast to you guys because we enjoy doing it and uh i've really enjoyed seeing um the fault you listeners the, the numbers are growing and the conversations are becoming longer and more interesting and so i really enjoy that yeah i was gonna say i think i think really our our heart of what we want to do here is that we just want to make the uh kind of the experience a little bit more streamlined yeah for everyone like uh, we don't want to lose any of the conversation we just want to figure out maybe easier ways to connect everything together and stuff so it's uh, nothing is bad is going to change if anything yeah. is going to get simpler for you guys to use but um, that's a good way of just, putting it you'll probably see a few updates in the coming weeks to what we're doing and if you follow us on facebook at which is facebook forward slash uh, movies you should um or you follow us on the website follow us on twitter you will know what's coming because we, we will definitely try to keep you posted, as well as sharing all the fun, interesting extra bits that we've been talking about. Make sure those get get out there so you guys can find them as well. Indeed. So uh, on that note, uh, join us next time, Lawrence of Arabia, and uh, thanks for listening. Yep. Until next time. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 